we are going to preach and, and teach and cover the last two verses of the book of James. We have covered every single word of this book from verse 1 of chapter 1 to 520. That's where we are going to end tonight. We have done it all. And the reason we do this, if you are curious why this is why every week you come in and it's the same thing over and over, the book of James rooted and we just go verse by verse, is because I believe that's how you are to teach the Bible. It helps me to stay true to what God's word says and it doesn't become my words, it's just God's words. I can't jump over things. I can't avoid things. You got to cover it because we just let God drive what's happening. And so then it goes beyond that to say, man, if you come in here on a specific week. Like let's say you haven't been here in a while and you jump back in and all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, that was for me. I can't believe that that was like spoken directly to me. Then you can know that it wasn't the person talking that night that was thinking about you. It was God who was thinking about you and it was his word chosen for you by him, not by a person. So that's why we do this and just a quick reminder on that. So we're going to be finishing up on the last two verses of the book of James. Um, As we go into it, The question that I'm going to ask to start tonight, and the question I want to see if you guys can think about as we go on is, what is the mission that you are on right now? You know, you've got a mission in mind. It could be a short term. It could be a long term. It could be very personal. might be kind of funny. You know, you you might have a goal. You might have something, especially summer right around the corner. You might be on a mission to have a lot of fun this summer, and that can include a lot of different things that you're looking forward to doing. Places that you want to go to, people that you want to hang out, schoolwork that you want to forget. I mean, all of it. You know, you, you've got a mission to where you're headed over the next couple of weeks and months before you return to the routine that comes in August and September. So you've got a mission. I think the bigger question is, is what is the Christian mission? And I think a lot of times it, it gets boiled down to uh, church attendance, it gets boiled down to being a good person, it gets boiled down to that, but, but there's so much more that is involved in the Christian mission. And, and you're going to see that in this text tonight, but I think there's different types of mission that people go on. And I don't want to say missions as in mission works. Don't get me when I say missions. It's not like going on missions trips. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm using the idea of missions like army missions, right? You know, you send in special forces to do some type of covert operation. That's a mission that they get sent on, right? That's the type of mission that I'm talking about. I believe that every Christian is sent on a mission. It's just a question of what type of mission are you on right now? And there's a couple, I'll just give you three that I thought of. Um, these are just kind of different ideas, but one, you could have a secret mission, right? Like that, that's kind of the idea of like the undercover mission. You know, some people in the army and the military, like Navy SEALs, I used to work for a guy who was a trainer of Navy SEALs. That's intimidating. Um, I, we went to a retreat with him in a, in a park one day. Okay, we were in a park in northern Virginia, like 15 miles outside of Washington, D.C. It's a great falls. It's beautiful. It's right in the river. But it's just like a normal park, okay? And so we're there, and he is talking about survival techniques to us. Why? I don't know, because he's a Navy SEAL, and he just is, knows everything. And so he literally takes a pile of uh, dead leaves and some twigs, and then he grabs a vine from a weed of like a, a plant that was growing over here and that was very, you know, kind of fibrous. And he ties it together and does a couple little tricks. And suddenly, before you know it, he is squatting down in the pile of dead leaves in the dirt doing this really fast. And boom, he makes a fire. 
Like the stuff that you see out of the cartoons where people like, you know, do the two sticks and they boom, just make a fire. He literally starts a fire and then he stoked it into a flame. And suddenly within 10 minutes of watching this guy go to work with just the natural elements around him, he has taken a tiny little spark and just ginormous flame and it's everywhere. Now, if you met this guy, his name is Todd. If you met Todd, you would see him and you would go, he's a Navy SEAL? He trains Navy SEALs? Like, what about him is so unique? He's not, like, super cut or super ripped. He's about a 6'1", so he's a fairly tall guy, but not taller than, like, most people. I mean, he's just above average, right? He is just a kind of a burly guy. He's kind of thick. He had a, just a nice thick beard. Looked like he kind of come out of the woods somewhere. And he could handle his business. Like, I mean, if you walked into him in an alleyway, I'm sure that Todd could, you know, you'd look at him and go, he's a pretty big guy. I don't think I could take him. He's just a normal looking dude. But that's the whole point, right? When he would go into these countries undercover, the idea was to be hidden in plain sight, just to be another person amongst the rest of them. Little do they know that he's deadly. And I mean that in every sense of the word, because I'm sure and by, I, I know that he has had to take lives. So he's on a secret mission. Some of you guys might be that way with your faith. Your faith is a secret mission. You are plain clothes. You are hiding in plain sight amongst other people in the world so that nobody really knows what you believe about Jesus or they even know that you believe in Jesus because the way you act allows you to blend seamlessly in with the, with the areas around you, with the environment that you're in all the time. So when people speak a certain way, you jump in. There's no distinction between you and people of the world. You're on a secret mission. You keep your faith quiet. Nobody really has to know because it's about you. It's yours. You believed in Jesus once. You, you prayed a prayer. Maybe you walked down an aisle someday and knelt at the altar. You did something, but it's secret. And you're hiding in plain sight. And your mission is just to kind of exist You've got Jesus, but you don't need anybody else to know, and that's your secret mission. Maybe some of you guys are on a reconnaissance mission or a recon mission. Maybe that is where you're trying to gather intelligence. So, so you're around other people, you, you observe how they live, and sometimes you might even speak about how they live. And I would say that some of these times, this is people who are either fact-finding, they're trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like to live like these people over here? And they're gathering the facts about what it looks like to live as a teenager and live this certain way. And so maybe you're, you're fact-finding and you're gathering all that info to see if it really is better to follow Jesus or maybe it's better to live the way they are. You're not really sure. So you're kind of on an intel mission. You're gathering the intel. Is it really better to follow Jesus or is it more fun and is it okay to live this way? You're kind of figuring that out. Or maybe the other side of it is you're on a fault-finding mission. You're the kind of person who you know what you believe in Jesus and then you are figuring out what everybody else does, and then you just love to find the faults in it. And so you're gathering the facts, and they're all negative about the people, but you're on a fault-finding mission. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You're quick to tell them, hey, I've, I've heard about what you've done here. Yeah, don't live that way. Ooh, do you really think that's a wise idea? Here, let me tell you a better thing to do. Trust me. So you're a fault-finding mission. There's fact-finding and there's fault-finding. But either way, you're just gathering intelligence. It doesn't really change who you are, and it doesn't really change the people around you, but maybe for negative ways in both. And then the last type is a search and rescue mission. 
There's been plenty of movies that you could watch about these good army movies where somebody falls behind the enemy lines and then you have to go on a search and rescue mission and you're trying to go in behind the enemy lines and go to grab them and rescue them to bring them back to where they are safe, where they are loved and they are with their people. This is the one, if you are catching where I'm going with this, that this is the type of mission that every Christian is sent on. Why? Why are we sent on a search and rescue mission? Well, because number one, a Christian is just like Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus was on, a search and rescue mission. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Search and save. Seek and save. Search and rescue. That's the mission that Jesus was on when he came to earth. He came to seek us out, us who are lost in our sin, not just to call us in our sin and say, hey, I see that, fault finding, you have all these things that are broken and you're enslaved in sin, but then to just not even seek it out, but then to save you from it, to rescue you from it. So he went on a search and rescue mission for all of us. And so for Christians, this is the mission that we are on. We are on the search and rescue mission, just like Jesus. This is what Jesus is about, so this is therefore what we are to be about. I know that also from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Listen to this. It says this, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us or he purchased us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Christ did two things. When he saved you, he brought you into the family of God. He purchased you to be his and then he also set you on a course with a ministry of reconciliation, meaning going out and reconciling the lost search and rescue. Keep going. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the mission. That's it right there, to be a minister of reconciliation, to be somebody who carries this message of reconciliation that is only found in Christ to others, search and rescue. That's the mission that we're called to be on. But is it the mission that you're on right now? That's what James wants to end his book with. To be honest, there are moments when you read this book where it is just abrupt it doesn't seem like things flow. And as somebody who likes to understand the themes, that's why I love television shows or movies that have like a storyline that's underneath. There's a word for that. It's called the meta-narrative. It's like the narrative that underlines and weaves everything together. I love that type of storytelling. James doesn't have that. James is like kind of sporadic. It's like one moment he's over here talking about your tongue, and the next minute he's over here talking about all these other things. And it's just like, where are we going? I'm just trying to figure out. It's like he's got that ADD mentality of just jumping from issue to issue, and there's just no continuity. And in the same way, when he ends this book, it's just like out of left field. He's like, okay, we've been talking about prayer the last couple weeks. And then he says this in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a, back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. So he ends this by encouraging us and telling us, exhorting us, giving us instruction on something to do with other people. 
Now, this comes off of the heels of prayer. So, so I think it's important to recognize how we've talked about the power of prayer and the, and the reliability of prayer and, and the situations of prayer, that prayer is situational, and that means it's for every situation, right? So we talked about prayer a lot over the last couple of weeks. I think it doesn't, it doesn't um, I don't think it's a mistake that James started by saying that and then goes into this by talking about bringing back those who are wandering. The mission, get on a mission, to go find out those wanderers who bring them back. But I think first, before we really dive into this, you have to understand one really cold, hard fact. And when I say it's cold, I mean it's kind of sobering, it's tough to handle, but it's the reality. The cold, hard fact is this. There will be people at church, there will be people at this church with you who will wander away from Christ. That is not covered up by the Bible. It's made evident and plain in the Bible often. In other places, it talks about they were once with us, but then they showed that they were not with us. So, so it, it's a cold hard fact that there are people in this church, in this ministry, with you who will wander away from Christ at some point. Now, how you respond to that says a lot about what you truly believe in, I think, and how you're going to respond to that in faith. It, you, you could be really discouraged by that. You could say, man, it, I can't believe that people are going to walk away. Oh, man, we're never going to get those people back. I mean, how do you ever win people back to Christ? They've been here before. They've seen it all. And they got bored, and then they left. Or you could say, well, pff, good riddance. I didn't really like them anyway. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can respond to this, but, I, but here's the Christ-like response that I think needs to come out of that fact. Another person's struggle with their faith is not just their problem, it's mine. Let me say that again. Another person's struggle with their faith is not just their problem, it is mine. Listen, we, we should have that type of mentality for people who we see wandering away from Jesus. When you start to slowly see it happening in their life, whether it's, you know, they're starting to let some stuff into their life or, or they're drifting away from Christ, they're not reading his word, they're not praying, they're not getting together with other believers in church, you start to see the warning signs in their life. We need to see that as not, oh, they got their stuff going on, I got my own stuff, I don't need to worry about them. We need to see that problem is a problem that we should share for them and we should care it's a problem for us if they were with us that we should try to draw them back in so they don't wander away. Now, why? Because James says that if they do get brought back from wandering, that person's soul will be saved from death. There's a reality here that if they wander away from Christ and they don't follow him, then they will not see him. That they will face spiritual death. Now, I don't want to be, I want to be really clear on this. James says that they bringing back a sinner. So the idea or the assumption here is that the person who wandered out of the church or wandered away from the faith was never saved to begin with. Okay? This is not a situation where you could point to this and go, oh wow, they were with us and then they wandered from the faith and if they don't come back, then they lost their salvation and they'll head to death. That's not what this text is saying. So I want you to be very clear in understanding me here because we believe and I believe the Bible teaches that once you are saved, you are always saved. 
So, so if they are not a believer, that will be shown because they will wander away from the faith. There's another idea here that if they wander away from the faith and they were, a sa- they were saved, that the kind of death that they're going to experience is going to be the hardship of seeing their faith be just weakened to the point where they are not usable by God. It doesn't mean they're not saved, but it is a question of how usable are they in the hands of God, and their faith will shrink down to an unhealthy level. So I just have to make sure that's clear because I don't want you to get misunderstood. That's a common misconception among not just young people, but, but adults, that some people believe you can lose your faith. And so that's not the idea here. The idea, especially because James says, brings back a sinner. That means somebody who is apart from Christ, never was with Christ to begin with. They were with us in the church physically, but then they wandered away from the truth. We want to bring them back to the truth so that they may be saved by that truth. That's what we want to do. Okay? So, so let's, let's go on. So the, the Christ-like response, another person's struggle with their faith is not just their problem, it is mine. That comes from Galatians 6, 1 and 2 and many other places, but I just thought this one hits it on the head. If anyone is caught in any transgression, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Verse 2 goes on to say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is the law of Christ, your love for others, that Jesus says, I place in you the love of others. Just as you love me, love my church. Just as you love me, love my people. The idea of that is that that would fulfill the law of Christ by restoring people with what? A spirit of gentleness. Bear their burdens. If they are struggling to understand, walk alongside them. Talk with them, answer questions, be their friend. Don't exclude them. Try to draw them back into the truth in a relationship with Christ. Now, how do we do that? And I think that's the question that everybody is going to ask. So here's, here's just a couple things that I think you can do. Number one, I think caring for that person, genuine care for that person is the way that you bring someone back who has wandered from the truth. I think the... the the point of this that really hits me is you have to love that person enough to want what is best for them. If you're really going to care for somebody, you have to love them enough to want the best thing for them. And, and you have to believe that Jesus is the best thing for them. That, that if they're wandering from the faith because something in their life is going on, like, you know, they, they've been dealing with, um, with heartbreak or they've been dealing with, you know, parenting issues or they've been de- dealing with, um, you know, other stuff or, or failure. You know, they didn't make a team or they've been failing a grade or something. And you, your, your solution, you're thinking, you know, the best thing for them would just be if those people would stop treating them poorly. Or the best thing for them would be if their parents would just get their act together. Or the best thing for them would be, man, if somebody just gave them a break and curved their test so they could pass this grade, that would be the best thing for them. Those things would be nice, but the best thing for them is not their situation changing all the time. The best thing for them is that there's somebody new in the situation with them, and that person is Jesus. That's the best thing for them. But do we believe that? Because I think a lot of times the way that you care for someone and try to help them, you're going to try to drive them to what you think the solution is. Do you see the solution is Jesus, or do you think it's just changing their circumstances? Caring for that person is vitally important. How can you grow your care for someone? Well, I think just like James has been talking about in James chapter 5, pray for them, right? Like, start with praying for them. By name, specifically, praying for their, their situation, 
for their circumstances, but not just, again, that those things would change or get better, but that those things would draw them closer to Christ, that Jesus would be made real in their life through the stuff that they're experiencing, that he would draw them in. So, so pray for that person. Have mercy on those who doubt. You know, what's interesting is reading uh, Jude. The book of Jude is actually a really interesting one because James is the brother of Jesus. Jude was also the brother of Jesus. And Jude says some really interesting things. It's a really short book. It's one page in my Bible. But in Jude verse 22, it says this, have mercy on those who doubt. So, so understand that if they wander away from the truth. Maybe it's because they're doubting some things about Christ. And the last thing that we need to do is come with a hammer and say, oh, you're so ignorant, you're so dumb. How could you give yourself over to the ways that this world thinks? Don't you see? It's so clear. This is the truth. That's not having mercy on people who doubt. That's instead guilt-tripping them and telling them how dumb they are. Don't do that. Jude's saying that's not helpful. Have mercy on those who doubt. Keep yourself in the love of God, Jude says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life with that mercy that you've received from Jesus, then you pour it out on those who have doubts. Here's another one. So you pray for them, you have mercy on them when they have doubts, but then Jude also backs it up in verse 23 by saying, understand the seriousness of wandering away from the truth. It's a very serious thing that they're dealing with. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is so important that you understand that, that we understand the reality that nobody likes to talk about anymore. And it's, it's almost like it's icky to say this word, but the reality of hell. And we need to talk about the reality that is a real place with real suffering that people really go to. And guess what? When they go there, the torment isn't like instantly like terrible and then they disintegrate because of the torment. It is eternal torment. Ongoing, awful pain, suffering, anguish, depression, all the darkest, blackest things of this world draw into that one place. And it is a continual experience of that. Now, if you, if you really, somebody said this, if we really had a clear view of how bad hell is, we would be amazing missionaries. Because then we would tell everybody, we would never want anybody to experience the awful atrocities of hell. So we need to understand the seriousness of somebody who's wandering away from the faith. If they are not in Christ, they are walking a rope that Jude says you need to snatch them out of the fire because if they die without Christ, they will perish eternally. And that is serious. The other thing he says in here is that we should even hate the garment stained by the flesh. What he's getting at is we shouldn't really want people to be toying with sin. We should tell them the seriousness of sin, not just in the afterlife, but in the present life, okay? Sin right here corrupts, destroys, enslaves, it hurts, it lies, it doesn't help. And we need to tell people that. You need to talk to people. When you see them living in a way where they are enslaved to sin, be honest with them. Say, this is going to hurt you. 
and back it up by saying, hey, I've been hurt by sin too. My sin has done things in my life that I regret now, and I don't want that for you because I care. Back to point, this whole point is I'm caring for you as a person. I want you to know how serious and damaging this is. So the first way we bring somebody back is we care for them. We pray for them. We have mercy on them when they doubt. But we understand the seriousness of sin in their life and what it can do. <coughs> Excuse me. Second thing, last point, is we introduce them to Jesus. We, we, you, you can be as caring as you can for a person, but ultimately that care and love has to be directing them to Christ. I always love um, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I, I always love just this little interaction at the beginning of that story because I think it just speaks volumes about really all that Jesus is telling us to do. You remember, you, they're sitting on the hillside, middle of nowhere, right? Just out there, thousands of people there, and Jesus says, feed them. And then the disciples look at each other and go, we ain't got enough food. We got this little boy's bread and fish. How are we supposed to do anything with this? And then Jesus says to them, one simple phrase. He just says, bring them to me. Bring them, bring it, just bring it to me. That's the whole idea. You could have a situation with a person where you don't understand. I don't know how to ever get them back to, to church. I don't know how to get them back to in a relationship with the Lord. I don't know how to do that. The answer is not for you to come up with the right argument. The answer for you, bring them to me. Not me, Kyle, Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Introduce them to him. Continue to show how Jesus is. Talk about him. Talk about his word. And have that opportunity for them to interact and introduce them again to Jesus. And if you can do that, then it changes it for them. But that's all that Jesus ever commanded the disciples to do. Bring them to me. I'll take care of it. But you've got to get them here. Get them here to see me. Get them here to hear from me. Talk to me. And they just got to see me more clearly. And the way that you do that is by grace and truth. You, you got to have them see the grace of Jesus. Back in James 5, what did James say? That, that he who comes back from his sin will be saved. His soul will be saved. That's the grace that Jesus has. He will cover the multitude of their sins by the grace of his blood that he shed on the cross. That's what he's going to do. And then don't just leave them with the grace and say, yeah, Jesus died for you, loves you. Introduce them to that and then introduce them to the truth that Jesus wants something more for you by following him and giving your life and surrender to him. That means changing the way that you live. That means repenting of your sin, right? Because sometimes we disengage grace and truth. And a lot of times we can just engage the grace part. Love covers a multitude of your sin. And you'll introduce people to that part of Jesus and then they'll have this incorrect picture that Jesus just covers their sin and they don't really got to change the way that they live or how they think or what they do. Then you have other people who just say, Jesus is a bunch of just truth. So just act this way now. Get in line with us. Act like us. Talk the way that we talk. Listen to what we listen to. Do what we do. Say what we say. Repeat these words and then you're in with Jesus. And we introduce him to that version of Jesus. That's not Jesus either. You need to take both. Grace and truth. That's the whole package of Jesus. That's who he is. Introduce him to that Jesus. Where they see that their sin is covered. And they see that there is a life that they can live. Empowered by Jesus' grace. That looks like the life that Jesus lived. Give them both. 
Don't give them just one or the other. And remind them that as they go on and they surrender their life to Christ, that his love for them is so great that it will cover the multitude of sins, not just the sins of the past, not just the sins of the present, but even the sins of the future. And remind them of that. There's a, there's a song, and, and I, I thought we would, we would end with this. You guys have probably heard it on the radio if you're listening to WBFJ or K-Love or any of those other ones, but, but it's called The Commission by Cain, and there's a beautiful line in that song that I think is such a powerful line. It says, you have a purpose and you have a plan, and, and, and really what it means is you have a purpose as a person, and God has a plan. And I want to leave you with some of the words of the Great Commission, not just verses 18 through 20 in Matthew 28. Everybody kind of memorizes that, especially if you've heard that song. That song really just pulls a lot of those verses and puts them to music, which is great and beautiful. But listen to the verses ahead of that just for a second so that you hear what's going on. In verse 16, it says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. First of all, I want to stop there. Jesus told them what to do and they did it. That's obedience. Okay, so, so there's the truth part right? It's the truth. They, they were obedient. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. There's love for Jesus. There's obedience and there's love. All these things are present. They worshiped him when they saw him. But then it says this, but some doubted. But some doubted. Some may have been on the brink of wandering out of that moment. Some may have thought, you know, maybe I should get down from this mountain. Maybe I don't want to be here with Jesus. Man, maybe I'm not ready to sign up for this. But you have been given a purpose, and God has a plan, and that's when Jesus comes in with them telling this. In light of their doubts, in light of the things that are happening right there where some are unsure, they have been obedient, they've even worshipped, but there's still some doubt. That's when Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because of that, because I'm in control. I have the plan. I've got it figured out. I will hold on to this. Go. Because I'm in control, go. Make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all the things I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even in that commission, he says grace and truth to us. Go for, make disciples, telling them of the name, my name, baptize them in that name. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize because people have been saved. Their sins have been forgiven. That's the grace. And then teach them the truth to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every single one of you has a purpose and God has the plan. You're not on Mission Impossible like Tom Cruise is always doing every five years or three years whenever he comes out. By the way, he's coming out with two more, and he's going to be like 60 years old jumping off buildings and flying helicopters. The guy's crazy. But it's not Mission Impossible. Top Gun's coming out, yes. Mission Impossible is the other one that he does. Um, but but your, your ability to, to grab the wanderer back is not Mission Impossible. Not, not when God has told you that I have all authority and I am with you. If he has all authority and he's present with you, then it's not mission impossible anymore. Some of you need to get out of being in your secret missions 
with your faith where you're just hiding out in plain sight. Some of you guys need to stop going on this just intelligence fact-finding, you know, missions where you're just gathering the intel about other belief systems or other ways that the world works and, and about Christianity or, or you're fault-finding and you're just factually gathering all the information about what people do wrong and comparing it to what Jesus says. You need to get out of either of those things and go on the mission that Jesus has for you. It's a search and rescue mission. By the way, those are thrilling. They're fun. Yeah, they're scary, but there is an element of adventure and heroics in that that I think is draws us, that draws us in. That's the mission that we are on. You have a purpose. God has a plan. The purpose is a search and rescue mission. The plan is that he's in control, and it's not mission impossible. There's somebody in your life right now who you know is wandering from the truth. What are you going to do to draw them back? Are you going to care for them? Are you going to introduce them to Jesus? Maybe, maybe you are right now wandering from the truth. Listen, I want you to know whether or not somebody else is going to do it in your life or not, but you've got adults in this room, myself included, who care for you and want to introduce you to Jesus and draw you back. If that's where you're at, if you feel like you're the person wandering from the truth, we want to draw you back. Or you may have a friend in here who wants to draw you back. Don't, don't continue to wander because in the end, it leads only to death. And I, I mean that. It's serious. We don't want that for you. We care for you too much. Jesus cares for you too much for that to be the end of your story. One final question, and then we'll pray. It's the same question that I asked to ask myself after I got to the end of this, studying this. What would stop you from bringing back somebody from wandering? What would stop you from bringing back somebody from wandering? I want that to be the question that maybe you, you chew on tonight as you go. Who is the person that may be wandering? If you know that person, what's stopping you from bringing them back? Let's pray. Lord, it, it is often that we feel overwhelmed at this command to bring others back. We're afraid of what could go wrong. We're afraid that we could fail. We're afraid that we could lose somebody that we care about. God, the reality is, is that if you are with us to the end, that all authority has been given to you, then Lord, we must go. We must go we must introduce them to you. We must care for these people who have wandered from the faith. We must desire to see the best thing for them. And we must believe that the best thing for them is you. So Father, pray that you would continue to grip our hearts and allow us to see people as you see them. See them in their, in their brokenness, see them in their lostness, and desire for them to see you and to know you and to experience the grace and truth and life that you give. God, I just pray that you would empower us for this mission. Give us your strength. Give us your boldness. Give us your courage. Most of all, give us your compassion for others. We thank you for the fact that you came to seek and save us, those who were lost. You didn't leave us here, but you came and found us. And we thank you so much for that that you died for us, saved us, and now have given us a new purpose 
We pray these things in your son's holy name.